This morning, we're starting a new teaching series that I'm really excited about. It's called Living a Rich Life, like Quentin said. Living a Rich Life. Now, this rich is not like having money in the bank or having a huge portfolio. That's not what we're talking about. This rich we're talking about is what, John, what Jesus was talking about in John 10.10 when he said the thief comes to steal and kill, steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full. So when we say living a rich life, don't misunderstand like we're, we're adding up your portfolio. That's not, we're talking about a life that has purpose and meaning. A life that is filled with loving relationships. A life in which your priorities are actually being lived out. A life where um, the idea is when you get to the end of this life, um, you're ready to stand before your maker. And you're ready to say, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about it for three weeks. Doug's going to come and he's going to talk about uh, the role of uh, of using your gifts, identifying your spiritual gifts and using them in having a rich life. Nobody has a rich life if they haven't figured out what they're good at and chase after that. Tim's going to come and talk about contentment, the idea of all of us have to choose at some point, and it is a choice, contentment. And then uh, this morning, I'm kicking off the series with the role of generous giving in having a rich life. Generous giving. Nobody has a rich life full, uh, uh, filled with meaning, ready to hear the words well done without generous giving as a part of their life. And just let me tell you, this is not a message just for middle class Americans. Actually, when I went to Haiti and the pastor grabbed me, put his arm around me, and I had just visited uh, a hut with a dirt floor, two chairs. The grandma sat on the dirt floor so that I could, as a guest, could sit in the chair. It was so uncomfortable. And you know what the pastor wanted me to teach on? Stewardship. I went back to my bed and I said, oh my goodness, are these principles that I teach at Orchard, are they actually true for poor people? Because if they're either true or they're not true. And so I had to, that was a hard night for me. Do I actually teach the same things to people who live with a, in a mud hut? And the actual truth is, yes. The principles are the principles. Where you might write a check, they bring a half a cup of rice as what they can share with their friends and neighbors. So you just got to understand. Uh, uh, so I come and uh, generous giving is a part of uh, living a rich life and it actually works no matter what level. So what I love about the church is if you're a single dad working a $12 an hour job, and you happen to be sitting next to one of our company presidents or CEOs who's making like six or seven figures, what's amazing is the Bible principles are true for both of you. And the church is one of the only places where both of you can be a full partner in what God's doing. We don't have a tiered kind of membership, you know. Uh, There's just simply you give what you can give, generous giving. So whether you're a paper boy in junior high school or a college student working in the dining center or president, CEO, making tons of money, these principles that Jesus gave you are true. And we need to all be living into those. And so uh, three groups of people in the room I realize I'm teaching to this morning. Let me just tell you who I'm teaching to this morning. There's one group who are doing this really well. And uh, you understand tithing and you understand giving and you understand. And what I want to do for you is cheer you on and say you're not crazy. You're, um, it's not crazy to write the checks you're writing. It's not crazy to uh, give what you give. In fact, it's uh, uh, both desired and required by God. 
I just want to cheer you on. There's another group of people who for the first time in your spiritual journey, you're at a point where maybe you can hear some new things about generous giving. For some reason, as you've grown, because you can't hear what you can't hear, right? And you just can't hear what you can't hear. So for some of you, there's a place in your journey where you might be more open now than ever in your whole life to hearing these principles. And then there's a third group of people. You're already sorry you came. Uh, (laughs) Your armpits are sweating. And like, you're going, I hope this gets over with quick. I'm already in pain. I know you're out there. And it's okay. What I need to help you know is we're not a church that manipulates. We're not a church that pushes. We don't think Jesus did those things. We don't think he lived that way. He simply invited. And so just lay back. We're not going to manipulate anyone or anything like that. We're just going to like uh, teach what we think is true. And uh, we're excited about it. I, I actually am excited. I've been telling people this week. I'm really excited. Now, here's part of the reason I'm excited. I'm going to teach it within a whole new context that I never taught it in before. And the context actually started three weeks ago when I was sitting right over there and Doug Tinson was teaching. And Doug Tinson three weeks ago was up here and he was teaching and he talked about this survey by Thomas Merton. And the survey said this. Uh, Thomas Merton discovered in a survey that 50% of Protestant Christians in North America have had a supernatural, mysterious encounter with God. A supernatural, uh mysterious encounter with God. And he also discovered, as he did his survey, that half or more of those people had never told anybody. And so then in his survey, he said, well, who would you tell? You know who's at the top of the list? Psychiatrists and counselors. And then you know who was in the middle of the list? Uh, Hairdressers and my bowling team. Do you know who was at the bottom of the list? The local church. I sat in a seat down there, and in my mind I go, whoa, there's a problem. If I'm going to have a spiritual, supernatural experience with God, and I can't tell people in my local church, what the heck are we doing? And so I went home for dinner that day. Our family was over. Ben's family was over. And I heard Ben say, Dad, we ought to make that supernatural, mysterious encounter with God a whiteboard topic in our family. And what that means to us is when our, all of our kids come home and we have that riotous time, we have a whiteboard that sits on our fireplace mantle. And any one of us can write any topic on the whiteboard that we're going to talk about this weekend. And it's really a great, if you have family coming home and you have that kind of a, we love this thing. Because they'll even start emailing before they come next weekend. Hey, I want this on the whiteboard. So we're going to do it next weekend. But as Ben said that, I said to Ben, and I share with his permission, I said to Ben, uh, well, do you have one? He said, well, yeah. Well, I said, well, well, what is it? You've never told your dad. <laughs> he said, well, it was when Grandpa died. When Grandpa died and we were all 15 or 20 of us around his bed and we were singing that song in Christ Alone. And uh, I was leading and we were singing that song. And right at the end, my son Jer had just gotten there the last grandkid who would be with his grandpa before he died. And he had gotten in the circle. And Jer's not a singer. Even he was singing. Um, uh, and grandpa's machine went from this, right at the end, to this. And he said, I felt the presence of God. I felt the presence of God. God was there. I called him a couple days ago uh, to get permission to share this and then also to ask him, well, how did you know it was the presence of God? And he said, well, I can't speak words 
but there was this powerful presence. Well, we're at the dinner table after Doug did this, and uh, Lynn kind of uh, pokes me and says, well, Dave, tell him about the living room experience. I said, oh, I've never told anybody except Lynn. The living room experience was when I was uh, uh, trying to decide whether to leave teaching and coaching to go into full-time ministry. And Lynn was gone. The kids were upstairs asleep. They were little then. And uh, I was praying like mad, Lord, help me make this decision. And uh, uh, a presence came into the room, like a presence. I, I, I can't explain it any other way. Just this presence came into the room. And uh, how I know something happened there is uh, I've never prayed on my knees before, ever, up to that point. And all of a sudden, I found myself on my knees praying. And for my whole history, up to that point, I had always prayed with my eyes closed and my head down and my hands folded, just like we teach kids in Sunday school. I'd always prayed that way. And in that moment, like my head, my eyes opened, my head went up, and I just like felt the presence of God. Spooky. Mysterious. Now, the deal is he never answered my question. (laughs) But what he did was, in that presence, he helped me realize how real he was. How real he was. And uh, how he would be with me. So uh, uh, as one of the leaders around Orchard that uh, I'm always watching our church culture. And when Doug shared that and my family had that discussion, I said, well, we got to get our leaders talking. So I went to staff morning the next Monday morning. As a staff, we meet in the coffee house around seven uh, small group tables. And I said, this morning, we're going to talk about this. Mysterious supernatural encounters with God, because if it can't happen, it can't happen inside the leadership of a church, it'll never happen in the congregation. We'll always be sharing with our bowling teams and hairdressers. And so I got the staff to talk about it. It was a holy moment. Then I wrote the board. And I said, hey, the next board meeting, which was a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, you're going to come and I'm going to ask you this question. Have you had supernatural, mysterious encounters with the living God? And so they came ready and one of our board members, again, I share with permission, uh, couldn't come because she, I think she was going to be in Texas. It's Joe, Joe Dorhout. Um, and she said, Dave, I, I want to write an email that you would read to the board. And now I have permission to read it here. Listen to this just for a minute. Remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about mysterious supernatural encounters with the living God who's real. And he cares and he shows up. So here. Here it goes. Uh, when, I was three, when I was about three years old, for several years, I was very ill, spending much of my time in the hospital and missing kindergarten and most of first grade. Most of the time, fevers ravaged my body and I was not aware of what was going on around me. However, in those times, I could feel my loving daddy just holding me tight and rocking me gently. Those memories are very vivid and clear, just like they occurred an hour ago. The memories have provided me with great love, respect, and comfort for my dad, carrying me through some very difficult times later in life. Now, fast forward. I am 47 years old, and when we would go and visit my parents with our children for weekends, the joke always was that my husband and the kids would pack up the van while dad and I played a strategic game we loved. The Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, 1997... The same thing occurred. Dad and I played our great game while Gary herded the kids and doing what was needed. While we were playing the game, my dad was sharing with me how badly he felt about a little four-year-old grandniece who has leukemia. And I said to my dad, but dad, I know Abby is feeling the love of Bert and Jed, her parents, just like I did when you would hold me so tight in the hospital, referring to when she was a child. I even told him about how great it felt to be cuddled tight, wrapped in a soft blanket, rocked in the rocking chair. 
My dad, a very quiet, loving man, looked at me and said, we weren't allowed to hold you because your fevers were too high. I knew in that instant that those loving arms I felt as a child over several years and the comfort they brought me later in life was my precious heavenly father holding me tight and removing all fear from me. I see this conversation, writes Joe, with my earthly dad as a precious gift my heavenly father gave me. You see, this is the last earthly conversation I had with my dad. The next weekend, he, as a perfectly healthy man, suffered a major aneurysm and never regained consciousness and went to be with his heavenly daddy two days later. What a gift our conversation those few days earlier was. Because now I knew those precious arms of love I felt as a child are not temporary, but hold me even today. What a precious gift I was given through that last conversation with my dad. Because now I can tell with assurance to parents whose little ones are facing difficulty that their precious heavenly dad is holding them in his warm, comforting arms, holding them so tight and rocking them so gently that all pain and fear is removed. I say share it at bowling teams and your church. I say when God shows up, we need to be able to like share those stories. God is amazing. He's living. We come not to worship some piece of history. We come to worship a living God who shows up. He shows up over and over again. If this is true, if the survey were true by Thomas Merton, half of you have stories, and most of you haven't told anyone, I would just encourage you to tell the stories. So that's the context that now I want to teach a little bit about generous giving in. Because I think it's a good context. I think it's the right context. I'm going to simply teach a parable, a story that Jesus told. And uh, track with me for a couple minutes. And remember who it is who told this? The Jesus who's God who shows up and touches people's lives. Parable of the Talents is my favorite story about giving in the Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. We'll have the scriptures on the screen. And I'll just talk through this just a little bit here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Three Three things. The man on the journey is God. The servants are us. And the property is his. Whoa. We could spend the rest of the teaching time on that one verse. All it simply says is your house isn't yours. It's God's. Your cars are not yours. They're God's. Your children are not primarily yours. They're God's. Every good gift you have, you are called to handle as a steward, as a manager. What does a manager do? A manager handles somebody else's stuff. Right there. I mean, that's all most of us need to remember. And why do we keep forgetting? I have my my tickets to the concert, my season tickets to the Hawks, my cars, my garage, my furniture, my Thanksgiving turkey. No, everything we have is God's and we hire it as a manager. We handle it as a manager. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. Who set the level of your wealth? According to this parable by Jesus, God did. You don't have to feel guilty about being born in the richest country in the world. You don't have to feel guilty. When I go to Haiti, I don't have to walk around with the shoulder of guilt. Because who decided that Dave Bartlett would be a five-talent person? 
a heavenly father did. I didn't vote on it. I didn't have any say about it. I'm a fine talent person. I was born in America to a middle class family. Some of you were born in a very good place. And know nothing of yourself. So what does the parable say? It says God determined it. There are five talent, two talent, one third. And then he goes away. He lets us handle it. Okay, let's go on. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Immediate, intentional investing in God's work. The man went at once and put his work, he put his talents to work. He didn't wait for five years. He didn't wait till he had more income. He didn't wait till he got out of college or he got a real job. He went at once to start investing in God's work. And he did it intentionally. He had a plan. Okay? So let's see what else we've got here. So also the one with two talents gained two more, but the man with one who had received the talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So the five talent, the two talent person, they're out using their stuff for the kingdom of God. The one talent person puts it in a hole. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Oh, there does come a day where we stand before Almighty God and we actually answer two questions. And what are those two questions? One is, what have you done with my son, Jesus? That's the first question we'll be asked when we face God. What have you done with my son, Jesus? And the right answer is, uh, I followed him as rescuer and leader of my life. That's the right with Lord and Savior, rescuer and leader. That's the right answer, number one. Second answer is, what did you do with the resources and the talents I gave you to uh, build my kingdom? The right answer is, I remember during my life that they belong to you, that I'm simply just a manager, and I used them as best I could for your kingdom. Right answer. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What great words. Who doesn't want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not only did you take Jesus as your leader and rescuer, but you also used the resources I gave you to build his kingdom. And by the way, we use 100% of his resources to build his kingdom, not the 10% that we call the tithe. In other words, it's not like you give God 10% and then the other 90% is play money. It's like you give God the 10% he wants back. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then the other 90% you still use to build his kingdom. When you feed your kids... And you help them go to college and you take care of their medical bills. And when you um, take a time of relaxation so you can be refilled to come, that's all God's stuff. It's not like 10% is God's and 90% is yours, right? So then he says, well done. Now, here's what I love about this. The man who had two talents also came and said, Master, you have entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. Now, listen to the master's words. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, what difference does God, what's the difference in response from the five well-invested to the two well-invested? Nothing. No difference. I love that. It doesn't matter whether you're the single dad making $12 an hour or the CEO. Um, It doesn't matter. 
we both get to percentage wise bring God great joy. And did you see that? Join in my happiness. Join in my joy. The way we use our stuff can bring joy to God. Can bring joy to God. When you help a needy neighbor, it brings joy to God. When you write a check so the church can do its ministry, it brings joy to God. When you support a kid in Haiti or Mozambique or wherever you're supporting a young child who won't have food or medicine without your help, you're bringing joy to God. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. There's the reason. There's the reason why people can't hear these principles I'm teaching this morning. He was afraid. You're afraid if you give, do something for God with your resources, you won't have enough. You're afraid there's going to be a shortage. You're afraid this financial cliff we're coming to. You're afraid. You're afraid. It's the number one problem for those of us trying to use our resources faithfully. Then the man who had received the one talent, oh, I already read that. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Gosh, I just stopped there. What? What happened to the loving Jesus? What happened to the he'll just receive me exactly how I am? See, this is kind of important. How we choose to use our talents and our resources for God. This is kind of important. And he looks at that one who wanted to be a follower but couldn't line up his life at all. And he said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I've received at least it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him and throw the worst of the servant outside into the darkness. The end of the parable, what do we have? We have one servant with 11 talents, right? He started with five, he got five more, and now uh, the master's given him one more. So he's got 11. And we've got one talent, one servant with four talents, and then we've got one servant who was booted out. Now what does the master do? The Bible doesn't say, but here's what I think he does. He goes on another journey. And he says, hey guys, keep it up. And here's why I say that. Because Lynn and I right now at our life, we're 11 talent servants. Right? We don't have kids at home anymore. We're not buying loads of food like we did with four teenagers. We're not trying to help a little bit with college, and I mean a very little bit. We're 11 talent people, and so are some of you. You're not just five talent people, you're 11 talent people. And almost everybody in the room is at least a four talent person in, in the scale of the world. And so it really matters how we use our resources. It really matters. And uh, so I just want to challenge you. You, you see, one of the things we teach in our leadership class here is there are um, values that you want to have and there are values that you actually have. And the only way you move from a want-to-be person to an actually-am person, or are, whichever, um, is you actually take action. So this is actually a call to action. A call to action. A call to give at a level 
that will actually involve sacrifice. And so those of you who do that every December, you know, you kind of settle up with God and you go, what did I make this year and what am I giving to God and what percentage am I okay with? I just say, keep going. Be like Lynn and I. I mean, we have to ask ourselves that hard question. We kind of settle up with God every December. We give during the year, but then we settle up and we just say, you know, what are we going to do? And those of you who haven't uh, thought a lot about this, but you're open, your hearts are open, take some kind of a step this year. Because the only way you move from a want-to-be value to an actual value is action. Is action. And uh, those of you who are still, like, really uptight, uh, just relax. I'm not pushing too hard. Uh, you can maybe, what you need to do is grow in your faith in Jesus a little more, which is fine. A couple other verses. I just want to bring to you because uh, remember the stage of this stages we have a mysterious supernatural God who shows up and I want to say to you he shows up in giving too. he shows up one night I mean I could tell story after story and I try not to tell these stories but when I was in ministry not getting paid much sometimes not getting paid at all one night I uh, just said to God God I think Lynn deserves a little more furniture. I don't know how you're going to do it, and we're definitely not going to do it on my salary. And literally within days, the wealthiest family in our town then, where we were, called us and said, we're redoing our whole house. Would you like to stop over and, like, get some stuff? We walked in there. We took everything. (laughs) We even took the carpet. I say to our staff, because many of them take a pay cut to come here, don't think God only works through your salary. God works in a hundred other ways. hundred other ways. I was telling this to one of our staff, and he said, Oh, Dave, I've seen this. I made a pledge. My wife and I did. And the very same day, I got a raise at work. See, this mysterious God still shows up. He still shows up. Now, here, here's the... I'm supposed to be reading this. Give it. This is from Luke. Give it and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this verse is mistaught often. It's uh, Luke uh, 6.38. It's mistaught by prosperity gospel pastors. who say, I give to God so you can get back money. That is not the truth. The truth is give to God. And what you'll get back is life to the full. And it might be some money. It might be health. It might be an old car that runs for a long time. In the Old Testament, it was actually for some of God's people were shoes that never wore out. God can bless people in incredible ways. So whatever measure we used to give to God, that's the measure he's going to use for us. One other verse. Just to like lay this out and then we'll... Sowing generously. Remember this, whoever so sparingly will... This is from 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever so sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Not only does he love a giver, he loves a cheerful giver. So, back to the context... We have a mysterious supernatural 
um, God who we can have encounters with. And we can have encounters with him financially as well as any other way. And it's kind of a God math deal where somehow he makes our generosity. I remember a business guy in Grundy told me, he said, uh, Dave, I started to tithe, which is basically give 10% of your income. I started to tithe when you told me the story of your dad when you were a little boy. And I heard my dad over here defending his giving to the church by saying this. It seems like when I give 10%, the other 90% goes, goes farther. And uh, this business guy in Grundy a year ago heard me say that. And he said, Dave, I went home. We had a conversation. My wife and I decided we were going to do that. And it was a big thing for us. And he said, up until now, I'm trusting God. And I believe the other 90% is going just as far. And so I, I just lay that out.